What's going on, everyone? My name's Adam, and you're listening to the Sanctus Church Podcast. Our vision here at Sanctus is to become a regional church of 10,000, meeting the physical, emotional, and spiritual needs of people in Jesus' name. Come on, let's get ready for what we're about to hear. Good morning, Sanctus Church. So glad to connect with you as we continue in our journey through this summer sermon series, A Seat at the Table. I hope you've been learning and growing and being challenged through all the teachings. It's a series looking at all the meals where Jesus ate with people, broke all sorts of barriers, shattered expectations, and showed how to have compassion and love for neighbors and even people whom we disagree with while calling them to a commitment of faith in him and turning away from their former way of living. Now, if you're here and you're skeptical or unsure of Jesus, you will see in this series how Jesus interacts with various types of people and what he's offering to them, the offering of eternal life and freedom from bondage. Now, have you ever had a moment when you've invited a lot of guests home and realized you may not have enough food or had a large function and more people showed up than you expected? I know I've experienced that a few times and only to wish I could just multiply the food, only to wish I had more food for everyone. Well, today's story is a unique meal and unlike any other. It's often referred to as the feeding of the 5,000. Now, aside from the resurrection, the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000 is the only miracle recorded in all four Gospels. It's found in Matthew 14, 13 to 21, Mark 6, 31 to 44, and Luke 9, 12 to 17, and John 6, 1 to 14. Obviously, the gospel writers considered this a significant miracle because no other miracle involved so many people. The Apostle John structured his gospel around the three Passovers of Jesus' ministry. So when people ask, how long did Jesus engage in ministry? Our answer is usually about three to three and a half years. How do we know that? Nothing in the New Testament stipulates that, but John tells us what happened before and after the three different Passovers. The Passovers occurred in the springtime, and because of John's three Passovers, we have an idea about the length of Jesus' ministry. What happened during the first Passover is recorded in John chapter 2, where Jesus performed the first of his signs by turning water into wine. The feeding of the 5,000 occurs near the second Passover. That means Jesus is one year away from the final Passover week, during which he would die for the sins of the world. Now notice what Jesus did on the first Passover, water to wine. During the second Passover, he broke bread and declared in John 6, 51, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I give for the life of the world. Now almost exactly one year later, Jesus reminded the disciples of these miracles in the upper room when he broke the bread and passed it to them and said, Take and eat, for this is my body which was broken for you. And then he passed the cup of wine, representing the new covenant in his blood. So when Jesus fed the 5,000, it wasn't just a humanitarian act of kindness. John called it a sign. It was signifying how he himself would be broken in order to meet the eternal hunger and thirst in everyone who will come to him. The feeding of the 5,000 was a sign and a visible miracle. Now, Jesus performed different types of miracles, creative miracles, restorative miracles like healing, and transformative miracles like water to wine. The feeding of the 5,000 was a creative miracle. So now let's look at the story. 
Jesus, with his disciples, withdrew into a boat to a desolate place. After the death of his cousin John the Baptist, they were also so busy, they didn't even get a chance to eat. So they withdrew for these three reasons. To grieve the death of his cousin, to avoid the risk of imprisonment or danger from Herod Antipas, and then finally to rest and to eat. Now Jesus had crossed the Sea of Galilee only to be met by a great crowd who followed him because of the great miracles of healing that he had performed. In this crowd there were men and women and children. Many of them were on their way to Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover. But when they knew Jesus was there, they turned to him to hear and see. And they had been there for three days and nights. Now, although it's called the feeding of 5,000, the Greek term used in Matthew 14, 21 specifies males. And Matthew further emphasizes and says that by pointing out and adding, besides women and children. So many Bible scholars believe that the actual number fed that day could be anywhere from 15,000 to 20,000 people. Now, that's a large gathering to provide food for. And so, though Jesus was tired and grieving and hadn't had time to eat himself, he was moved with compassion to heal and teach them. Responding with compassion to human need opens the possibility for provision. Let me say that again. Responding with compassion to human need opens the possibility of provision. Jesus' eyes and heart were always open to the needs and hurts of people all around him. Jesus was full of compassion for his disciples, but it was also for the vast droves of people who followed him. And so he taught them and healed them. But the question for us is, what is compassion? Compassion is seeing and feeling someone's needs and doing whatever is necessary to meet it. Now, there are three words we often use interchangeably, sympathy, empathy, and compassion. But they're different. Sympathy means you can understand what the person is feeling. Empathy is, means that, that you feel what a person is feeling. Compassion is the willingness to relieve the suffering of another. So we, you know, we can't meet the need that we're not aware of. But we're often so busy that we don't see the many needs of the people around us, even the needs of our own family and close friends. Jesus was always aware of the people around him, aware of their broken hearts, aware of their need for physical healing, aware of their need for love. Jesus saw the need of this crowd, even though he was grieving the loss of his own cousin John, even though he and his disciples were exhausted, he compassionately did what was necessary to meet their needs. The question is, what did the people need? Well, in the middle of Mark 6.34, it says, they were like sheep without a shepherd. This is a word picture that the people in Jesus' days would have understood. And so we need to dig into this word picture to understand what it means to be a sheep without a shepherd. The reality is that sheep without a shepherd have no hope of surviving. Sheep are utterly defenseless. The, sheep, uh, you know, the shepherd protects them from wild animals. Sheep will wander away and maybe fall into a pit or off a cliff unless the shepherd keeps them with the flock. Sheep will keep eating the same patch of grass until nothing is there and just dirt is left. So the shepherd needs to guide them to green pastures. Sheep without a shepherd have no hope of surviving. They were wandering through life, these people, without no spiritual shepherd to feed them from God's word and to protect them from the lies of the devil. The people needed a shepherd and Jesus was their true shepherd and had compassion on them. The disciples came to Jesus asking him to send the crowd away to find food because they were getting late. 
The disciples themselves were tired and hungry and wanted the crowd to go away. How were so many people to be fed in a desert place? That was a question for them. And so for us to think about how do we react when we see people in need? How do we react? What is our initial response? Is it with compassion or annoyance or frustration because they're impeding our needs, our wants, taking our time and our resources? Jesus knew what he was going to do, but he asked the disciples what they proposed to do about feeding this crowd. He asked them this question to test and develop their faith. Now, I want us to note the answers the disciples gave in response to Jesus's question. What are you going to do about feeding these people? Matthew 14, uh, verse 15 tells us the first response was send them away that they may go to the villages to buy themselves food. In other words, the disciples were, these people are not our guests. We're not the ones who invited them here. We are under no obligation to supply their needs. They came here. It's their problem, not ours. They felt it was not their obligation. They wanted to push the issue away. And you know, sometimes we see a need. We wish someone else will take care of it. Someone else will provide for the poor. Someone else will serve. Someone else will give financially. Someone else will help. And so we, we push that need away. We, we ignore it. We just wish someone else would take care of it. The second response was, well, Lord, if, they, if we just had money, we would gladly feed these people. And it would take a fortune to feed a crowd like this. We don't have that kind of money. In Mark 6, 37, it says that it would take more than a half a year's wages. Now, the disciples didn't focus on Jesus' ability, but on their circumstance. The disciples' minds immediately ran to the cost of the project. They quickly calculated how many man hours it would take to feed all these people. They saw the task as impossible because they approached it as if everything depended on their own work. Jesus was not the first person in the Bible to take a handful of barley loaves and multiply them to feed the crowd. This miracle was not original to him. Actually, in the Old Testament, in the book of 2 Kings chapter 4, something very similar happened in the days of the prophet Elijah. Elijah had a crowd of 100 people, probably students in the ministry school he led. There was a time of famine and the students didn't have enough to eat. But a man came bringing some barley loaves, the very same kind of bread this little boy had in John 6. It was a poor person's bread. And this man brought his several loaves to Elisha and said, I'm bringing these to you, Elisha. And then Elisha said, well, distribute it among the hungry students. Now, the man was embarrassed. He said, I didn't bring nearly enough for all the hungry students. But Elisha told him to break it and distribute the bread anyway. And the bread multiplied in his own hands and everyone had all they could eat. And there was still bread left over. Now, this is almost exactly what Jesus did. Only he magnified the miracle by a factor of 500. He fed not 100 men, but 5,000. Every one of those Jewish recipients knew they were seeing someone who was like Elijah and Elisha, only much, much greater. With this miracle, Jesus was saying, there is one standing among you who is greater than Elisha the prophet. And so this is why we have to beware of limited thinking when we have a great God. We have a great God and that nothing is impossible with him. And so will you trust him with your life? Will you trust him with your family, your finances, and your future? Where is our focus today? Is it on God's ability or our human frailty? Finally, the third response that was given by the disciples was 
that we have found a young boy here with five loaves and two fish. But what is this among so many? So little for so much. This boy had not much to bring. Barley bread was the cheapest of all bread and was held in contempt. You know, barley bread was the bread of the very poor. In the Mishnah, which is the Jewish oral traditions, there was actually a, a regulation about the sin offering a person who had committed adultery must bring. For ordinary sins, people would bring bread of wheat. But in the Mishnah, it said that in the case of adultery, the flour should be barley flour. Now you notice how no parents were mentioned, just the boy, which is very unusual in a culture where children were not valued with authority. He must either have been alone or maybe one of the parents had committed adultery and this bread was the sin offering he was taking to the temple. And it was just this bread that was multiplied. Now that's just a thought, not saying that actually occurred, but a thought to think about how possibly God's grace is able and how God's grace is able to use our failures, our mistakes in life for good to bless others. And so when he offered this bread, it was an offering, a symbolic offering of sharing the weaknesses. And in our weaknesses, God's strength is made perfect. His power is manifested to bless others. Now, the fishes would be no bigger than sardines because pickled fish from Galilee were known all over the Roman Empire. In those days, fresh fish was unheard of luxury because there was no means of transporting it in any distance and keeping it eatable in a condition where it was available for them. So, so small sardine-like fish swarm, swarmed the Sea of Galilee. And they were caught and pickled and made into a kind of savory. And so this boy had little pickled fish to help the dry barley bread down. The boy probably wasn't the only one with food, but he was willing to share. Because God uses small things to make a big difference. Do you know that? God uses small things to make a big difference. God can shatter our pint-sized expectations when we learn to bring and give to him what we already have been given. Because little is much when God is in it. When we're willing to offer our lives sacrificially, releasing our grip over whatever God has given us in terms of time and money and talents, then God can use the ordinary things to create extraordinary things. So we must never believe our resources are too little to serve God. God delights in taking a humble, seemingly insignificant person and using him or her for his glory. Mother Teresa once said this in a prayer and said, uh, said prayer is action. Pr prayer in action is love and love in action is service. Try to give unconditionally whatever a person needs in the moment. The point is to do something, however small, and show you care through your actions by giving your time. We are all God's children, so it's important to share his gifts. Don't worry about why problems exist in the world. Just respond to people's needs. We feel what we're doing is just a drop in the ocean, but that ocean would be less without that drop. Small deeds, are done, small deeds done are better than great deeds planned. The disciples gave these three excuses. They are not, they're not our guests. I'm not obligated to help. The second excuse was, we don't have money. If I only had more time, more money, I could do more. And the third excuse was, well, we, we what we have is not enough. It's too little. It's insignificant. And some of us, we may feel like that. This is not my problem. I don't have much. Or if I had more, I could do more. If I had more time, I could do more for God. How many of us make excuses? 
Excuses are great procrastinators. Making excuses isn't a good practice, and it's especially dangerous when we start making excuses in our spiritual life. We make excuses when we don't want to obey God. We make excuses when we don't want to go where God sends us. We make excuses when we don't want to believe what God tells us. We may even make excuses when we don't want to give what he asks us to give. We make excuses when we don't want to serve whom those God has called us to serve. I know I've been guilty myself of giving many excuses to God. And he often challenges me when I make these excuses. And he speaks and he says, Sam, why are you making these excuses Now, it's noteworthy in the story that Jesus fed the people through the agency of his disciples. He could have simply snapped his fingers and caused everyone present to have a meal right before them to enjoy. But he didn't. Instead, as it says in Mark 6, 41, he gave it to the disciples to distribute to the people. In this way, the disciples had to trust the Lord for everything they distributed. They could only give as they received. Philip, Andrew, and the rest were put in a position of total dependence upon the Lord for their supply. And this is how God still uses people the same way today. We partner with God to do his work. He needs every one of us to serve. When we do what we can do, God will do what only he can do. Let me say that again. When we do what we can do, God will do what only he can do. And God calls us into this partnership, as uh, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 6, verse 1, says, working together with him, then we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. We receive God's grace and we partner, we work together with God to his ultimate purpose being accomplished. See, God is not impressed by how much we have to offer, and he's not intimidated or limited by how little we have to offer. All he cares is that we are offering what we have. Whatever we release in obedience, God will increase in abundance. God has called us to partner with him to fulfill his purpose. And God has a purpose to be accomplished and created each of us with specific talents and spiritual gifts and abilities. And when we invest our time and our resources, God supplies us with grace and wisdom. I'd like to share a little demonstration on showing how God, when we start to give how God multiplies and grows what we give to God. I have here a a, a chess board. Now, chess is uh, my favorite board game. I love it. I'm always looking for people to to play uh, with this chess board. And as you can see in this chess board, there are 64 squares. In the the lower uh, left-hand corner, I'm going to put a grain of sand, uh, sorry, of rice. Now, if I move to the next square and I put two grains of rice. And then the next square, I double it to four. And then I move it to eight. And then I move it to 16. And I keep doubling the rice as it goes across the chessboard. If you double the amount of rice as you move from square to square, how much do you think you would have of, of rice. Would it be a car load? Would it be a train load? Well, actually, the amount of rice after you work your way, you can try it, <laughs> probably after you stop after a couple uh, squares, you're going to realize that it has enough rice to cover the country of India six feet deep. Now, let me read to you or tell you that number. I'm going to first read out the number and then say it out. 
1-844-674-4073-709-551-615. Basically, that is 18 quintillion 446 quadrillion, 744 trillion, 73 billion, 709 million, 551,615 grains. Can you imagine that many? If we just multiply going across these 64 squares of a chessboard, doubling each number, you will have that much rice, that many grains, to cover India six feet deep. That is a lot, all starting with one. And so what a challenge, what a challenge for me and you and to the church to change the world, to make disciples of all nations, of all the people around the world. And that's the power of multiplication. Suppose you go out and reach one person for Jesus, stick with that person for six months, help, encourage, strengthen them, and at the end of six months, there are only two. And at the end of the year, there are only four of you. And at the end of 18 months, there are eight. And two years, there's 16. Do you know how many people there would be by the end of 17 years? Now, just only 17 years. More than the entire population of the world, more than six billion. Stop and think about that. Think about what you and I can do as we fulfill what God has called us. What a challenge for us, for me, for you, for us as a church in changing the world to make disciples of all nations, of all the people groups around the world. That's the power of generational multiplication growth that happens when we all take seriously our participation in the work of the church in evangelism and discipleship. Matthew 28, 19 and 20, Jesus himself said this, said, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. You see, Andrew did not know what he was doing when he brought that little boy to Jesus. He was just providing material for a miracle. We never know what the possibilities are when we release and bring someone to Jesus. He didn't know that this little boy would release a blessing to many. We can't do everything, but we can do something. And what we do and what is in our lives, we need to look and ask ourselves. So the question I want to ask you today is, what's in your basket? How many loaves and how many fish do you have in your basket that you can give? You know, throughout my life, some people have asked me, where'd you get your last name Mills from? Well, let me tell you a story. During the years 1847 to 1873, there was a group of American missionaries who went to the small island of Sri Lanka, the place of my birth. They traveled by boat for many months through difficult circumstances and hardships, and they sacrificed their lives and families to go to this small little island where they didn't know anyone nor whom they would be ministering to and interacting with. Well, these missionaries, Cyrus and Susan Mills, eventually met a young Hindu boy and led him to know Jesus. This young boy was my great-great-grandfather. When he got baptized, he was renamed Cyrus Mills in honor of the missionaries. He was also ministered to by a medical missionary named Dr. Samuel Fisk Green, who started the country's first medical hospital and school and my great-great-grandfather graduated as a medical doctor from the school and practiced in the hospital called Green Memorial Hospital. And when he became a Christian, 
He was immediately rejected and ostracized by his family. He was not allowed to attend his only sister's wedding. He, his family poisoned him and he almost died, but for the prayer and fasting and care of these missionaries. He had to endure a lot of rejection and suffering and humiliation for the sake of Christ. His young heart and faith in Jesus withstood all the persecution. Now Cyrus had five daughters and one son, and his only son he named Samuel, whom he named after the medical missionary, and from whom I also was named after. These sacrificial acts of love and service by the missionaries and by my great-great-grandfather had a generational multiplication for thousands of people thereafter. In 2005, I was able to visit Mills College in Oakland, California. This college was founded by Cyrus and Susan Mills when they returned back from their missionary journey. And so I went to the college campus and went to the library and went into their archives, and I was able to find pictures and letters written and correspondence between my great-great-grandfather and these missionaries. I was able also to read the journals of the missionaries, of their struggles, their pain, and their joy. At the college, I was able to visit the gravesite of these two missionaries, Cyrus and Susan. And then when I was pastoring in Boston, I was able to find and visit the gravesite of Samuel Fisk Green. And these were moments I took to reflect on their sacrifice, the impact of what little they had to give to a little boy in a foreign country that changed many lives, including mine. Now, the irony is that they traveled thousands of miles from America to a small island in the Indian Ocean. And generations later, a young boy would move from that small island to Canada and then pastor in America for 10 years. The irony of how God works. And preaching on this day is very special for me because it was on July 24th, 1999, that I was ordained into the full-time ministry 23 years ago. And so today I took a moment to reflect and thank God for the lives of these missionaries and my great-great-grandfather, for all they sacrificed with what little they had, they risked their lives, obeyed God's calling for their lives. And today I'm here preaching before you because they gave what they had in their baskets. So like the little boy who gave five loaves and two fishes that were blessed and broken and given to thousands, will you sacrificially give to God? What is God asking you to give? Give what you have, even if it's little. Who is God asking you to serve? Who is in your crowd who will be changed? You see, Jesus moved with compassion. Who is in your orbit that you can extend compassion to? Remember, compassion is different from sympathy and empathy. It is the willingness to relieve the suffering of another. Give what you have, because God can even use the little in your hands. You see, you don't need to be known to do great things and impact many people. In a world where people want a platform and position and power and privilege and prominence, this little boy was never known, and we still don't know his name today. But his act of generosity is the only one mentioned in all four Gospels and impacted more people than any other during the ministry of Jesus. He gave what he had in his hands. And finally, be careful not to make excuses to connect and help others and to do what God wants. As we've endured many years of this pandemic and there are many people hurting and broken and isolated, we as a church are called to move with compassion, give our time, our talents, and our treasures. For some, it could be simply inviting someone home for a meal. For some, it could be just sharing your story of how Jesus saved you, possibly to your coworkers, a friend, or a family member. 
A young boy gave little, and Jesus blessed it and multiplied it and extended it with compassion and care for thousands. So what is in your basket? Take a look. Look inside and then give it away. Allow the Holy Spirit today to empower you with willingness and courage to give and serve and to love those around you with compassion. Allow the Spirit to impart His gifts, to use those spiritual gifts for the expanse of His kingdom, for God to work His purposes out. And so this morning, will you join with me in prayer? Will you pray today and ask the Holy Spirit to come and breathe life into us, a fresh wind of his power and his grace and a willingness in our lives to surrender, to give all what we have, even if it's little. Say, God, I'm willing to serve. I'm willing to give. I'm willing to invite. I'm willing to show compassion to those who are broken and hurting around me. Open my eyes, God, to see. Open my heart, God, to be willing to give and extend what I have for you. So if you would feel comfortable, there will be a prayer uh, in the screen. Would you just pray with me and ask God to join and to work together as we serve in his mission? Let's pray. Father, we are your church who bear your light. Holy Spirit, we ask you to fan the flame of the gifts you have given to us to serve a broken world by giving what we have. Pour out your spirit and move with a fresh wind in our lives, in our church, and in our nation. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. If you would like to learn more about us, please visit our website at sanctuschurch.com. There, you'll find ways to support our ministry and God's vision for this church. Last but not least, if you like what you're hearing, Be sure to hit that subscribe button to be notified when another episode releases. Take care and we'll talk soon.